The reading is a split one this morning. So they're both in 1 Peter, which is on page 1886 of the Bibles in front of you. And first of all, we're going to read 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 2, and then some verses in chapter 2. So 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Then we move to chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you will speak to us through it today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Well, I'd like to show you a picture on the screen. So, uh, Actually, I'll let me press the button, see if it works. Yes, there we go. Perfect. Picture on the screen and ask you what you can see. And I apologize if your sight doesn't allow you to look at it very well. So if you can't see it very well, just listen to what people are saying around you. What can you see? Have a good look and tell me what you think you can see. Can anybody see a young lady? Put your hand up if you can see a young lady. Great. Can anybody see an older lady? Put your hand up. Hang on a minute. A young lady and an older lady? Really? Are we all looking at the same picture? How come you're seeing old ladies and young ladies? Strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Because if you, if you look, there's, 
there's the young lady's ear and nose and chin, line of chin here. But hold on a minute. This is the old lady's mouth and nose. And can you see that? So there's both old lady and young lady in this picture. Strange. Doesn't it teach us that we need to take care to make sure we're seeing things correctly and not be taken in by a first potentially mistaken impression? Interesting, isn't it? Okay, so let me put today's passage into the wider context of our series in Whole Life, Whole Bible, and then we're going to dive into this passage and take a good look at it. So at the moment, we're going through the Bible in 50 talks, uh, and the goal is to show that the whole of the Bible is relevant to, and indeed it speaks into our lives, the whole of our lives. So today is talk 44. We're nearing the end of the series, and the title today is Elect and scattered. So that's where we are in the series. Let's get into our passage today. In this passage, the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians who've been exiled, forced to go off to various different parts of the Roman Empire in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, And we can see the names of the places that are listed there in verse 1 of the passage. They've been exiled off to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all sorts of different parts of what is, it was in Asia Minor in those days, it's now modern-day Turkey. And isn't it usually the case that refugees who've been forced to leave their homes and go to other parts of the world, they don't really often look particularly impressive or composed. I always think of those pictures of the boats in the channel, and you see them all clinging on, hoping the thing isn't going to sink. It's not a great situation, is it? In fact, sometimes quite the opposite They look harassed and they look helpless. They look as if they've been pushed around by circumstances, forced away from home comforts into dangerous places. So this next photo... Oh, gone too far, sorry. There's a bit of a lag there. There we are. This next photo is a few refugees... And you can see it does not look really nice, does it? I mean, there's a, an open, I don't know what, sewer or something running down through the middle. The kids are all playing in it. It doesn't look good, does it? Uh, it looks dirty. It looks unsanitary. And the refugees aren't exactly looking in their best either, are they? So humanly speaking, if you're a refugee, maybe things are looking quite grim for these exiles to Cappadocia and Bithynia and Pontus and all those places. And yet... Peter, the Apostle Peter, has a completely different perspective. If you read through that passage, his perspective is totally different. Let's pick up on some of the ways that Peter describes this bunch of exiles. If you've got the passage there, please follow along. I've put a few of the words on the screen here, hopefully. Is it going to play? Thank you, Jill. Um, Peter says there are holy people. Can you back up one? Sorry. Thanks, Joe. Sorry, I'm not pressing this button because it's just a long lag. Right. Yeah, he's, Peter says there, God's elect. Jill's oh. struggling now. <laughs> we'll get the right slide here. There we are. Thank you, Jill. I'll read them from my notes. Here we are. God's elect. They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. These are these exiles, these refugees. They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They are 
undergoing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They're obedient to Jesus Christ. They're sprinkled with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They're living stones. These exiles are being built up into a spiritual house. They're a holy priesthood. They're a chosen people. They're a royal priesthood. They're a holy nation. They're God's special possession. They are the people of God. And they have received God's mercy. Wow. I don't know about you guys, apart from the fact that the slides are a bit behind, but I don't know about you guys, but those descriptions bring to mind a completely different set of circumstances. This is not the refugees with the tents and the open sewer. This is a totally different people that Peter's describing. Maybe Jill can move on to the next slide here. Keep going, because this is the second list of, of things. Peter has given a God-given insight into the actual reality here, the spiritual reality of these exiles that he's writing to. On the outside, they may look weak, helpless, oppressed, and without hope. But in reality, they're chosen by God. They're precious to him. They're being made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They're precious to God, and they've received his mercy. They're royal priests of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They have a status which lasts for all eternity, and they will endure forever in God's kingdom, enjoying his love and favor. Now, here's the amazing thing. God has always planned to bring to himself a people, his chosen people, right since the beginning of time. Back in Exodus, in the Old Testament, he met Moses on Mount Sinai, and he told him to tell the people of Israel that they would be for him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that's in Exodus 19, if you want to look that up. Home groups get a chance to take a look at that later on. Peter picks up on this promise here and uses it in describing these exiled Christians that he's writing to. In fact, this description applies to all Christians. If you're a Christian, this description that Peter's written in this letter applies to you. We're all elect. We're all chosen by God. We're all part of God's royal priesthood. We're all members of God's holy nation. We're all God's special possession. So take a look. Look around. Look around you, all the people here. You are in august company. You are surrounded by this bunch of special, holy people. On the surface, they may look ordinary, but the surface uh, appearance is deceptive. The spiritual reality is clear. All of us have been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light, and we've all received 
grace and mercy from God. So that's today's passage. Very encouraging, very exciting. What I'd like to do now is to look at the implications of these truths. Let's explore what this means for us today. Of course, the best way to do that is to read the rest of Peter's letter because he gets into some detail. He sets out how to live godly lives, how husbands and wives should relate to one another, how Christians should relate to one another, etc., etc. But you'll be relieved to learn that I'm not planning to do a full study of the whole of of 1 Peter today. We don't have the time, uh, maybe another time. Home groups, you get a chance to look at that. Um, I would, however, like to look briefly at three applications. That is, application to ourselves applications to our relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, and thirdly, application to our relationships with others, those who are not yet Christians. So let's start with ourselves. Have you ever thought that you're just a small cog in a big wheel, that you're going nowhere fast, that what you say or think or do doesn't matter at all. It's of no consequence. Or have you ever gone through a period of low motivation or perhaps low self-esteem? Have you ever lacked confidence? In today's day and age, it's understandable. Many of us will have gone through these things. And that's, whilst that's understandable and natural in the world we live in with the pressures we're facing, let's be absolutely clear those sentiments are wrong. The Bible says that that's wrong. God himself has chosen us. And he did this with perfect knowledge of what we're like. And he's chosen us deliberately. He chose us and he made us holy through the work of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. Whilst that work admittedly is a work in progress, ask Sarah, she'll tell you about that, uh, we are not perfect yet. Our destination is clear. That's definitely our destination. We're being made holy. We've been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And note also that reference to being sprinkled with his blood. I'd just like to take a minute or two to try and explain that. That's an allusion to the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 24, and Moses made sacrifices for the people, and he sprinkled them with the blood as a sign to them of being made clean and being taken into a covenant relationship with God. That's like a binding promise of a permanent relationship. That covenant in Exodus was established through animal sacrifice. Our covenant is superior in that it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which is the guarantee of our covenant relationship with God. Jesus' death on the cross permanently removes our sins and ensures that we can always come to God through our faith in Jesus. So again, about ourselves, each one of us may look like an ordinary person on the outside, indistinguishable from many other people, the man or woman on the Clapham omnibus, but the reality, the spiritual reality, is totally different as described by Peter. You've been chosen 
If you're a Christian, you've been made alive when you were dead. You're part of a royal priesthood. You serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're a member of a holy nation. You're God's special possession. You've also got a new job. You're declaring God's praises. And you've been transferred from darkness into light. You're one of God's people. You've received and rejoiced in the abundant mercy of God himself. Now notice how many of those benefits and privileges you've earned and you've worked for. And the answer is not a single one. They are not earned or worked for at all. God chose us. It's his activity. God appointed us as royal priests. He included us in his holy nation, and he made us a special possession. God's mercy has been poured out on us, not because of anything we are or we have done, but simply because he chose us. We are God's elect. We're chosen. So because God himself has acted, the status that we have and the benefits that we enjoy are secure. They don't depend on us. They're from God. He's got all the power in the world, beyond the world. He's got all the power to give us these things and to keep us and protect us and preserve us. So the next time you look in that mirror, in the bathroom mirror when you're shaving or, or doing a hair, uh, remember who you are because of what Jesus has done and thank him. Lots to give thanks for there about ourselves. So, so much for ourselves. Let's think a bit about our relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we're relating to one another, how does who we both are change things. What applies to us personally applies equally to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you talk to a fellow Christian, you're addressing someone whom God has chosen. God has made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. Like you, they're a work in progress. But perfection is their destination. That's where they're going. They too have been sprinkled with Jesus' blood. They're in a permanent covenant relationship with God. So you may look at your brother and sister in Christ and say, they look pretty ordinary from the outside. But again, the spiritual reality is different. And that new reality has to affect how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't it? How should we relate to them? We need to overflow with care, with love, with concern, and with desire to serve these fellow members of the royal priesthood. We should treat each one with the love and respect due to someone who is a member of God's holy nation, who is God's special possession. And we need to work together to accomplish the job of declaring God's praises in everything we do. Now, I don't know about you, but I have often fallen into the trap of treating fellow Christians like I would any other person, maybe 
a bit cynically. Maybe I'm wondering, what are they after? Can I trust them? Are they trying to take advantage of me? Imagine the difference in our relationships if we were all to realize who we're dealing with and to treat each other with the respect, with the honor, and the love that we owe to one another. That would transform our lives and the lives of everybody here at St. John's. So the next time you're talking to a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ, let's remember who we're dealing with. This is one of the elect, someone whom God himself has made holy through the sprinkled blood of Jesus. Let's allow the reality to shape and to direct us. And let's aim in the power and strength of God's Holy Spirit to build and maintain these deep and effective relationships between one another. Let's showcase the love of God and together declare God's praises. Okay, so we thought about ourselves and we thought about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now let's think about relationships with those who are not yet Christians. Many who are not yet Christians will look at Christ's church. That's not the building the people. They'll look at Christ's church and they'll see the surface only. They won't see the reality. They'll look at us and they'll say potentially something like, maybe with a mixture of pity, with a mixture of distaste, and possibly with distrust. Who does this person think he is or she is? Who do these people think they are? A bit holier than thou with the halos going on? Deluded with their mythical ideas about this guy called Jesus and his death and his resurrection? Full of outdated ideas about gender, sexual relationships, social justice, truth, etc., etc., etc. Quaint bunch of misfits. So heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. We, for our part, are at risk of regarding those outside of Christ's church as beyond redemption, riddled with sin and blinded by it, seeing only the outside of each situation and not able to grasp the spiritual reality. But let's look closely at what Peter teaches us. Our role is there in verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. We are to declare the praises, declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And surely part of the reason for doing this is to call others to come to know the Lord God of heaven and earth and his son, Jesus Christ. I take it that we are to declare God's praises in such a way that others are keen to join us and find out about God for themselves. In all our relationships with those who don't know Jesus, we need to be taking every opportunity to declare God's praises and to invite that person to come to know him for themselves. So out go all our disparaging comments, all the aloof there uh, that we might adopt. 
those of us in the know about Jesus and the holier-than-thou behavior which we might be tempted to put on. Instead, we are to declare God's praises in ways which are attractive and focus on the biblical truth that we've just learned. We are to love others in the same way that God loves them. After all, Jesus died to bring everyone who will repent and believe into relationship with God. How could we possibly not do all in our power to share that invitation with those around us? I don't know about you, but as I was preparing this talk, I was convicted of falling short of what God has called us to. I've had too low a view of the huge privileges that he has given me. I've had too low a view of the value and status of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, I've been too uncaring and unloving towards those who do not yet know Jesus. So let's pause for a minute or two. And I'd like to invite each one to reflect on what you've learned from our passage today and what you would like in the Lord's power through his Holy Spirit to change today, next week, and going forward. So I'm going to pause for about a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's, let's just pause to reflect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word, which leads us into all truth. Lord Jesus, thank you that each one of us who trusts in you is sprinkled with your blood. We've got a guaranteed covenant relationship with our God through your perfect sacrifice of yourself made for each one of us on the cross. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are continuing your work of making each one of us holy, set apart to praise God and to serve him in righteousness and in truth. We acknowledge that we have often looked on the surface rather than seeing the reality. We've not always appreciated the grace which you've poured out on each one of us to make us your chosen people, your royal priesthood, your holy nation, and your special possession. We've not treated our brothers and sisters in Christ with the honor, love, and care they deserve as your holy people. We acknowledge also our reluctance to declare your praises in front of those who do not know you. We've been lukewarm and tentative in showing others your love. Send your spirit, we pray, to fan into flame our appreciation of what you've done for each one of us and our love for those who do not know you and are without hope of the life which you offer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.